This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Happy Friday to you. If you are in the Des Moines area, stay hydrated because we are in a heat advisory. Well, it starts tomorrow, but it's going to be balls hot for a lot of the weekend. Happy to be here on a Friday. Lots to get to, including my guy, Leroy Butler, finally getting into Canton. We're going to hear from the inventor of the Lambeau Leap coming up in a bit. Cubs baseball comes your way at 1. Check that at 1245. Zach Zaidman will have the play-by-play. And then Pat and Ron, of course, with uh, the call here on ESPN Des Moines. But joining me first, as we hit one of the big five, a guy who spends his summers in Peru crushing ayahuasca with Aaron Rodgers from ArrowheadPride.com. He is Pete Sweeney. Pete, hello. Thank you for the time, my friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm between sessions right now. Uh, always a always a pleasure to to join my original radio partner. I don't I don't know if a lot of people know about, know that about us. Five years ago this week, we had our very first wow. show, and what people don't realize, I was late to that show. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Pete had to fill in because I overslept. Uh, I, and for our very first show down at a radio station in Kansas City. So happy five years to you, Pete. Wow, uh, thank you for telling me that. Sometimes you don't really know that that you. You've reached, I guess, these this anniversary. Uh, I remember uh, I was very nervous at, at one point and uh, completely stopped <laughs> talking. Uh, and, and on radio, like you can't stop talking. No. And I just remember you you using your hands to say, "Pete, say something." And then eventually, my my brain kicked back in. So you helped me through the uh, the initial nervousness and the cobwebs. And I and I always say. Uh, Whenever you ask me on the show, of course, I'm going to do it at some point. So uh, happy to join you today. Well, Pete, I know that uh, you've come a long way. You're a master of TV and radio and print, uh, focusing on the Kansas City Chiefs. And before we get to the guys that are currently on the team, why does Tyreek Hill keep talking about this team? Well, uh, y- you know, and this goes for, for both genders, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you, you leave your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and the uh, the new one you got is is not as attractive, and you check their Instagram uh, quite a bit and their Facebook, and <laughs> you you wallow. Uh, and I I think in in theory, you know, when Tyreek makes this move, he's he's thinking, okay, I'm going to Miami. This is where I live now. This is where my family is. It's going to be great weather, great vibes. And then you get there, and it's like you have to convince yourself that that Tua is as talented as Patrick Mahomes. And that is the equivalent of trying to say that like a tuna fish sandwich is as good as a steak from a really nice steakhouse. Uh, and and it, it makes him look a little ridiculous. It makes him look like he has buyer's remorse. He was paid. Um, and what, what's created is this, I think, narrative about Tyreek <clears throat> where it feels like a, a fall-off is predictable, which is, you know, that T.O. type of territory toward the end of his career um, and it's been tough to see. <clears throat> I, I do think that there is some regret that he's not saying about, you know, maybe he should have tried to work it out with the Chiefs, but he's made his bed, and, and now we'll see what happens to, to his career. I, I tend to think he's still going to have a successful career, but, but that Hall of Fame number numbers that you need to, to make the Hall of Fame, to me that's in jeopardy unless you have the quarterback, and I, I don't estimate that, that Miami has one right now despite what Tyreek is putting out there. Bigger drop-off, your former wide receiver or my former wide receiver who's going to be catching balls from Derek Carr? Well, I, I mean, the Chiefs have Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Uh, you guys have Lazard and, what, <laughs> Sammy Watkins, uh, who we know can't stay on the field. Um, they, there there has been some rumblings about rookies right there. Dubes, yeah. Dubes I believe is Dubs. the name. Dubs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, uh, look, a guy that's never taken a snap in the league, I, I feel good about it. <laughs> Talking to Pete Sweeney, ArrowheadPride.com, on Twitter, at PG Sweeney. I'm Mike Wickett. This is Wickett's World on ESPN Des Moines. All right, on to the current Chiefs. Was there a big concern that Orlando Brown was never going to report, or was his holdout and his dismay with his contract and eventual arrival what everybody expected? Yeah, I think we all really felt he would show up before it got to the thick of training camp because, in theory, the the holdout when your franchise tag makes no sense because even if the team that you know had reconsidered right and they wanted to sign a long term deal, it's not allowed by the CBA. That's the one advantage that the team has in, in these free agency periods, and it's tough because they only get one. And sometimes when you have two marquee free agents, the the second one can kind of break free. Uh, not the case in Kansas City where they had the situation with Orlando Brown, and I think he just wanted to prove a point that he was disgruntled. Uh, but I think he realized, okay, like, I, I, in order to make as much money as possible, what I want next year, I need to be there, and I need to be ready for week one. And I think that finally came to fruition uh, where, where he showed up. Uh, they have appeared to leave the business, um, you know, by itself and, and are looking forward. And we've seen Brown interact with Brett Beach on the field, and Andy Reid has said, you know, the, the great players are usually able to separate the business from you know, the on-field play. His teammates were continuously saying that he was a leader and, and they couldn't wait to see him. And now he's in camp, and it, and it does seem like they've put it behind him. But I like it for the Chiefs because there's just extra motivation for Brown to make them look bad while making them look good. And that's always a situation that you want in the NFL. He'll be, uh, he'll be guarding the backside, of course, of Patrick Mahomes and Let's see, the last story I read about Patrick Mahomes, my co-host on my rock station brought up the fact that he and his wife, Brittany, gave $10,000 gift bags uh, to the people who came to their weddings. The ladies got Cartier bracelets and the guys got Rolexes. Did you get one of those? Did not get the invite. I, I got to think that I was invited, but, uh, you know, I changed address fairly oh, recently. So I'm, guessing, yeah. I'm guessing my Rolex is, is still sitting there somewhere in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I got to make, make my way over there to get it. Does... Does Mahomes real? Okay, here's let me back this up because everything I keep hearing about yeah. Rodgers losing Devontae is, oh, Rodgers will look all around to other guys and they'll be just fine. Now I hear the same chatter come out of Chiefs Nation, and I hear the same chatter from everybody at over at, at Arrowhead Pride on your boards. Oh, now Mahomes doesn't need to focus just on Tyreek. How does it, the, the passing game change? And is it better with Juju and MVS minus Tyreek Hill? I think it's definitely going to be less explosive because you just don't have that wild threat of the fastest player in the NFL a tick faster than everybody else. You know, you, you watch Tyree Kelly as uh, as bad as it's gotten off the field. He, he's just super talented and it's hard to deny on the field. Now, will the offense tick a little bit better? Will it be more methodical? Will they be able to matriculate the ball down the field uh, a little bit better? I think that's arguable. I think the, the idea that you were constantly trying to get Tyreek involved because he is so dangerous was on the mind of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, whenever he, he took a snap, I mean, he's looking at Travis Kelsey and he's looking at Tyreek Hill, and those other guys are an afterthought, and you saw it in the targets. Whereas now, I, I just don't think there's as much pressure as to, like, get Marquez the ball or get Juju the ball or get McColl the ball. You're, you're going to count Travis Kelsey targets, but of course you are. I mean, he's the best tight end we've ever seen or you know in this generation uh, compared to, to Gronk, who – recently retired again. So I, I, I really think it, it takes the pressure off Mahomes a little bit. And again, no offense to you, Mike, but I think the replenishment that they did in Kansas City feels a lot better <laughs> than Green Bay, where nobody is established. These guys have had modest success. Uh, Juju's 
fallen off due to injury and whatever, but I, I think they've created a room with McColl and Juju and MVS that all these guys have a little something to prove. Uh, Clyde has, has really been a little bit more feisty, I think, this offseason as well. And so uh, I think the offense is just highly, highly motivated to, to prove a lot of people wrong, you know, both with Brown and a lot of these pass catchers and even, even extending to the starting running back. I don't think there's going to be a meme of Mahomes falling out of bounds, firing it up, saying, ah, F it, Juju's down there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like we saw no. with the Tyreek memes for, for so many years. Uh, you know, you mentioned Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I, just such a mystery of a player. I, I mean, he had one great game out of the you know out of the, the, the rookie season, and then everything else has been up and down and injuries and this. You mentioned he's feisty. How has Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked so far in camp? Well, he's been, without a doubt, the, the starter, and the, the Chiefs, seem to be mixing reps with behind him with Ronald Jones and Jerick McKinnon. I know there had been some thought that maybe Clyde would be the second back now that Jones is on the team. I don't know if Jones is going to make the team. That, hmm. That's another story. Clyde has looked good, and he's oh, – you can tell he's heard the noise when he, when he goes to the press conferences. Like, he doesn't exactly say it, but you can tell he's just highly motivated to prove a lot of people wrong. I, I think a lot of the story with Clyde uh, is at fault with the organization because the organization was floating out that – you know, Clyde coming out of the gates was going to be as productive as a CMC. Um, and, and I say that because it got out there to a lot of these newsbreakers like the Lewis Riddicks and, and Peter Schrager, who, you know, talks to the Chiefs front office that, you know, you got to be thinking about Clyde as like the top overall pick in fantasy football. And that's when 2,000 yards for CMC, you know, was becoming the norm at the top of fantasy drafts. And then he goes out and puts up 13, 1,300 yards from scrimmage. Like, that's pretty good for your, for your first year, but it just didn't live up to the expectation that the organization kind of floated out there themselves. And so the story's gotten weird with Clyde. Like, was he worth the first-round pick? Was he not? He's been a little bit injury-prone. I, I like his outlook so long as he can stay healthy. The fact is he hasn't. Uh, and so the Chiefs, again, loaded up the running backs. They got Jerick McKinnon back in there, Ronald Jones. And, and what's gotten really interesting is the seventh-rounder out of Rutgers, Pacheco, who we know the organization really likes because they said as much. And... I think they have some options there, but I'm eager to see what Clyde does because you can just tell there's a little bit of that edginess stemming from a lot of the noise that he just simply wasn't worth it, and that's always motivating the football players. What went wrong last year for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I think it was I think it was the injuries. I, I think I think that when you have a Tyree Kill on the team, you know, there's only so many, so much that you're going to involve the runners in the pass game, and that was the advertisement on Clyde coming out of LSU was like. Okay, not only can he run between the tackles, but you can get him the ball in space, and he's going to do some damage. Well, when 20 targets are going to Travis Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill, uh, you know, and, and you have those players on the team, are you really hoping to see a lot of running back screens, like four or five targets to, to Clyde? And who knows, if it doesn't go well, then all of a sudden it's second and eight, and you're like, why aren't they throwing to Tyreek? And you start to have all those questions. I, I know we keep coming back to the same point, but – I just think plucking Tyree Kill out of this lineup makes them a, a bit more balanced, and that plays into the hands not only of Clyde, but some of these other pass catchers who've been dying for targets over the years, like a McColl and even these newcomers in Juju and MBS. Well, good, because I got Clyde Edwards Alaire on a dynasty team, and I would like him to get the football a lot this year. <laughs> you mentioned Ronald Jones, who was you know splitting time up until the point when he fumbled on a Monday night game with Leonard Fournette in, uh, in Tampa. How did that signing happen, and could he really not make this team? Well, you know what it was? Uh, we found out recently when Jerick McKinnon talked at the podium that McKinnon was taking his time uh, because he had core muscle surgery, and 
he always thought he would end up with the Chiefs, but you know he wanted to recover fully and be able to pass the physical. Remember, he was a free agent. And so McKinnon's taking his time. You know, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you can't just wait in free agency and be like, well, we'll get McKinnon when it's time. I mean, look at what happened with Melvin Ingram. They, they thought, oh, Melvin Ingram's surely going to be back here. Or they even used a, a rarely used unrestricted free agent tag on him. And then he goes to the Miami Dolphins. So I think the Ronald Jones signing, when it happened, was before McKinnon and was this, I think, safety net. And now you're seeing, I think, the result of that. Because the Chiefs have a lot of talented tight ends. We talked about the wide receivers. I mean, you, you know Andy Reid is keeping his fullback, for better or for worse. Yep. So you're looking at only three spots. And if Ronald Jones was a safety net, and then they were able to get McKinnon back, then what does that mean, right? It, it probably means that McKinnon has leg up making this team. And when you're talking about a tough cut, I mean, you wish that there was almost a 60-man roster, because I think a lot of these players – uh, would make it that that are are question marks, uh, but when you're looking at 53 and you're you're trying to fit everyone in, it feels like they're going to keep three running backs and the fullback, and that's where I I think McKinnon might win out. And I think Mike, you were still covering the Chiefs with me when they traded Carlos Hyde, or maybe you were just on your way out, but they signed Carlos Hyde to the one year deal mm-hmm. and then traded him to the Houston Texans prior to the end of the preseason. And he had a monster <laughs> game against KC, if I remember correct. Had a thousand yards in the season, so yeah. it's not even to say that that Ronald Jones isn't isn't a good player. I, I just don't know how he fits. And you know, maybe the Chiefs can get one of those conditional day three picks where they say, "Okay, give us a seventh rounder." If Ronald Jones has a hundred carries for your team this year, that turns into a sixth round or something like that. Um, you know, so you get something for him because I don't. I think there's going to be a team out there that sees him in the preseason, or if it is McKinnon, or sees McKinnon in the preseason, and is going to say. We don't want them to hit the waiver wire. We'll surrender this late pick uh, to get them on, on the roster, similar to what happened with Carlos Hyde. Talking to Pete Sweeney, arrowheadpride.com on Twitter at PG Sween. Follow him. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World on ESPN Des Moines. Um, you know, the last two times we saw the Chiefs play, Josh Allen was throwing the ball all over. Luckily, <laughs> Buffalo forgot how to play defense or chose not to play defense in those final 13 seconds at Arrowhead. And then after that, Joe Burrow was throwing the ball all over and Jamar Chase was going crazy. What did they do defensively to try to shore up some of that? And again, Burrow and Allen are elite quarterbacks, but man, the defense looked like it did a couple of years ago in that secondary, especially Pete. Yeah, Mike, I was making fun of your Packers wide receivers. You're looking at a lot of young defensive backs for this mm. team. Traveris uh, Ward's now in the San Francisco 49ers, and so Trent McDuffie's going to be expected to start outside day one. Lajarius Sneed, but Rashad Fenton, who would have been your other cornerback, at least to start right now, has been on the PUP with a shoulder injury. We're optimistic. I, I believe that he'll be back in the mix soon, but still has not practiced for training camp yet. So now you're looking at a fourth rounder in Joshua Williams and a seventh rounder in Jalen Watson. And you have some returners in DeAndre Baker and you traded for Lonnie Johnson. And there's other names in that mix, but it's just a lot of names that are unproven. But the Chiefs roster build has always been let's invest in the defensive line, let's invest in the safety position, and so long as these cornerbacks are fast, we'll be okay. Uh, and that, that has started <laughs> defense, <laughs> defensively. They've started slow a lot because I think a lot of these guys have to kind of come into their own and they get dominated. Like, I'm fearful. I'll be honest. I'm fearful at the five foot eleven Trent McDuffie going up against a Keenan Allen, uh, a Devontae Adams twice a year. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is a grand mismatch for a rookie cornerback. Now, he'll have safety help and Justin Reed, who they paid, and Juan Thornhill, who's guaranteed an all-pro season. And, you know, you look at them investing in George Karloftis with the first-round pick, and Frank Clark looks to be uh, in better shape than he's been probably in, like, four years. 
entering that 2019 season. And so I think they've, they've built it how they've built it in the past, but you still have these question marks of these rookies, rookie cornerbacks are going to have to play some snaps, especially if Fenton isn't healthy. And you don't know. I mean, you don't know until you know, right? And so uh, I expect opposing offenses to pick on McDuffie to start, and we'll see how he responds. And, man, that Fenton injury is, is one we're continuing to watch. I actually asked about it this week, and they said still no timetable on that but it, it it doesn't seem like a big deal but in my opinion it is chiefs are a fascinating team it'll get you out of here on this pete they're a fascinating team in a fascinating division you add Devonte to the raiders you add russell wilson to a loaded minus the quarterback broncos team from a year ago the chiefs have been the rock solid pick for a decade and a half under andy reed to win the division and sexy chart here's the sexy chargers pick but don't believe the chargers till you believe them who wins the AFC West? Well, I, I've said this, and as you can imagine, Mike, in Kansas City, it's been an unpopular take. I think the Chiefs win the AFC West, but I think they're the number three seed in the conference. I mean, if you look at their schedule, it's just the con- Just the division schedule is, is brutal. <laughs> right, right. It, it's hard. And, I mean, you know, you, you talked about Josh Allen earlier, right? The, the Bills are built to win a Super Bowl now. They're also playing Mac Jones, Tua twice, yeah. Zach Wilson twice. Whereas you just mentioned the quarterbacks of the Chiefs play, and now Derek Carr has his college wide receiver who happens to be the best wide receiver in the NFL. It's just a lot more daunting. So I, I could see the Chiefs going like an 11-6. and six, But then you have the teams like the Bills and, and the Bengals and maybe the up-and-coming Matt Ryan Colts where the roads are just easier, right? Four and two in the, in the Chiefs division would be great. Three and three would honestly be very good in the AFC West. It's not the same AFC West that the Chiefs have just beat up on these, these recent years. And I think that makes a difference in this seeding. So I got the Chiefs probably winning the AFC West by, by a game, but I, I definitely think they'll be playing on Wild Card Weekend. And let's say it is the third seed. You're playing a pretty good team in that first game. Uh, even if you're the second seed, you're playing a pretty good team in that first game now that there's seven seeds. And so it'll be interesting once it comes playoff time, but we have 18 weeks and, and more until then, Mike. Follow him on Twitter at PG Sween. Read his amazing work, arrowheadpride.com, for all things Chiefs. Pete, thank you so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Can't wait to see when you match Aaron Rodgers' tattoo on your own body, Mike. Well, I, I got to finish a, this glass of ayahuasca first, so we're good. Yeah, that's right. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Mike. Later, Pete. Pete Sweeney, get on Twitter at PG Sween. Coming up, we will talk some more NFL. It is that season. The Hall of Fame game was last night. My guy gets in. Talking about Leroy Butler, you're going to hear from Leap 36 next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It's Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. Cubs baseball coming your way 1245. Zach Zaidman as the pregame. And then, of course, Pat and Ron from the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. And it's amazing, breaking news, we have a Friday day game that is not going to get rained out, which never happens, Kira. Never happens. Cubs baseball coming your way a little bit later on, about 20 minutes from right now for the pregame with uh, with Zach here on ESPN Des Moines. My thanks again to Pete Sweeney for joining us. Uh, Arrowheadpride.com if you're a Chiefs fan. You know, Pete has come a really long way, and I, I, I have to applaud Pete because he was just a writer. You know, he was a writer guy. 
And then the radio station that I used to work with uh, down in Kansas City, 610 Sports Radio, they're now the home of the Chiefs and the home of the Royals or whatever. Um, I was paired to host the local pregame because they weren't carrying the Chiefs at the time. And so I was paired with Pete to do the pregame show and the postgame show. Well, our very first show was this was five years ago this week. It's our very first show. And I, I'm in bed, all right, in the middle of the afternoon. And I get a phone call from the program director named John. And I'm like, hello, this is Wicket. You're not at the radio station, are you? I said, no. Because the game, we were doing an early pregame because we were carrying the Royals. So we had to do an early pregame, get out of the way for the Royals. We'd be on afterwards when the Chiefs game ended. So I said, no. And he said, show starts in five minutes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Jump out of bed, you know. Throw on whatever shoes, I think I, whatever shirt I could, I jump in my car. I went 100 miles an hour down the freeway. 100. I was only two exits away from the radio station. That's how close our condo was at that point. I was like, get up to 100, decelerate. The show is on the air. Pete's never done radio before, all right? And his partner at the time, Kent, they had never done radio before, so I just kind of slide on it, and that was five years ago today, and now Pete does TV down in Kansas City. He's, of course, uh, arrowheadpride.com. He's their editor. He's the guy in charge down there, and uh, he has just been he, – he really has come a long way, and I'm really excited uh, Because for he didn't him. oversleep. No, he was there early. <laughs> he was probably there an hour early, like, oh, God, it's my first radio show. What do I do? What do I do? And I've done hundreds and hundreds of radio shows in my career, but Pete had not, and I felt like – I felt like an ass. For, for all the whole show, the whole post-game show, and now five years later, he's like the king of uh, Chiefs media down in Kansas City. So my thanks again to Pete for joining me. Um, it is officially football season. We know that. The first game that kicked it off yesterday. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, did you check out that Raiders and Jaguars game last night? Because nobody watched the Raiders and Jaguars game. I mean, you may have just because it was on. My kids go to bed at 7. The twins go to bed at 7. The older one goes to bed at 7.30. My wife put the twins to bed, and the older one goes to bed a little bit. And she comes downstairs, and I said, Lee, look. And there was football on TV, and it was amazing. We hadn't seen football, real football, since the Super Bowl. And I was just like, oh, this is great. And then you start watching it, and it's crappy preseason week. Week zero, basically, of the preseason you don't get Derek Carr. You don't get Devontae Adams. You don't get Trevor Lawrence. But it was nice to see football. But the biggest story this weekend, it's not the game. The game is fine. We get a full slate of preseason games next week. We only got one this week. It's just the Jags and the Raiders. But it is Hall of Fame weekend. It's an incredible class. Um, Tony Baselli, longtime incredible tackle for the Jaguars. The late Cri uh, Cliff Branch from the Raiders. The late Sam Mills, linebacker for the Saints. Richard Seymour, who won all those Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. Bryant Young, Hall of Famer, uh, defensive lineman from the Niners. Of course, Dick Vermeil, if you're a Chiefs fan or a Rams fan, that was your guy. Uh, and then they they, they uh, elect, you know, an official or somebody who's not a player or a coach or whatever. Uh, On-field official and supervisor of officials, Art McNally, goes in. So get excited for you McNally fans. But my guy, all right, I have known Leroy Butler for a decade, if not longer. Uh, if you watch the Green Bay Packers play in the 1990s, everybody knew about Brett Favre, Reggie White. But the guy that was in the back end, one of the great safeties in the history of the game, who has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to get in, he's the lone member 
of the all-90s team not in the Hall of Fame until this weekend. And to hear Mike Tirico make this announcement last night was awesome. Let's meet the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. This defensive back anchored Green Bay's secondary for 12 years. A member of the all-decade team in the 1990s, he won Super Bowl 31 and also invented the Lambo Leap, Leroy Butler. My guy, Leroy, just smiling ear to ear. As anybody would, you would think that is going into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I've known Leroy for a while. One of the happiest dudes you're ever going to meet. Always smiling, never down. Even those years we thought, this is the year. Because he's been nominated before. You're like, this is the year. This is the year. You're going to get in. You're going to get in. This is it. And then he falls short. He's always just been like, hey, it's okay. It, it's all right. And I had a chance to talk to Leroy. If you want to listen to the entire podcast, follow me on Twitter, at Mike Wicket. There's two T's. And you can check out my conversation. There's a video of me talking to Leroy. And then also, if you just want to check out the podcast of me with Leroy. And I was so happy to get Leroy on because he's friends with me and he's friends with my wife. And we were all in this close group at the radio station in Milwaukee when I worked there a long time ago. And he told me, he said, you know, when when you're you're always a bridesmaid until, in his case, Charles Woodson shows up at your door to tell you you're getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Every year you say is your year to get married, but the guy never proposes. Every year. Oh, you're going to make it. You're getting in. He's, girl, he's going to marry you. Oh, you got to do this. You got good. And he doesn't propose. Then you just give up. You're done. He's never going to do it. We have kids, but I'm never getting married. But... And then Woodson is knocking at the door. The Hall of Fame ring. So that's what it felt like. I know I know what my wife feels like whenever the year she thought I was going to propose and I didn't, but eventually I did, by the way. I know. I saw that. I... <laughs> it was such a good, I, when we talked for about 20, 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, and it was just to hear, and that was the day he found out or the week after he found out he was getting into the Hall of Fame. And I remember I saw it and I text Leroy and I was like, man, Leroy's going to be so happy to hear from Wicket. I sent him a text and it was congratulations. And he responded with, Thanks. That was it. <laughs> that was it. I was like, Leroy, congratulations. I just saw you got in. Text T-H-A-N-K-S. Thanks. At least it was the full word. Right. It wasn't thanks with an X. Or K. T-H-X. <laughs> no, but obviously he had a lot of people uh, to talk to. He was in and I, I mean, the guy was doing all kinds of dinners and he, He's a fundraising machine for he's got a vodka and he's got this and he's got that. and He's got his own brand of sausages. And so I was just so happy for him. And I was so glad that he gave me a little time uh, to to do the video chat. If you want to check that out, it's again, it's on my it, just search for Wicket on Wisconsin. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicket and you can see the whole conversation or listen to the entire uh, conversation. And then he was on ESPN radio this week because all these Hall of Famers are doing the media tour. You know, who's in Canton, who's broadcasting live from Canton. And he was on with uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max right here on ESPN Des Moines. And he was asked about what it was like to start at the very beginning and now be a Hall of Famer. For me, where I came from, poverty, African-Americans, special needs kid, I uh, got bullied my whole life, which I never really cared about because I just ignored anything that was negative. And my grandmother told me that I had a unique gift and it was to just concentrate on things that was more positive. 
So I thought about my mom who passed away six years ago. And all of a sudden, you try to get emotional. Sometimes you think about the big picture of all the kids who, who, who are growing up like me. They're saying, you know, I can maybe do the same thing. Matter of fact, I can do it. So that, that makes me feel very good. It's, it's just such a great story. And to see the smile on Leroy yesterday on TV, and I cannot wait for this speech coming up tomorrow. I, I am just so excited to, 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 for, for my friend. You know, I've never been able to say I know a pro football Hall of Famer, someone I could text. I mean, when I moved, I I had, I always tell people about my time in Wisconsin. I'm originally from Detroit. I tell people I was born in Detroit, but I grew up in Wisconsin. That's where I matured. I think I'm mature. I mean, Kara, you can tell me I'm way off on that, but I like to think that I matured in Wisconsin. I was kind of a screw-up when I got there. And when I moved, when I left Milwaukee, it was really hard for me to do that, but I was going with my then-girlfriend, now wife, Lee, for a job in Kansas City. And one day, out of nowhere, a jersey arrived at my house. Leroy sent me a jersey because he knew how much I did not want to leave Wisconsin, but he sent me an autographed jersey, which my wife then stole, and I didn't know where it was for about three weeks. But she and my mother-in-law, and at the time my father-in-law before he passed, they were going to get the jersey framed. I don't collect a lot of stuff, but I am proud of my Leroy Butler autographed jersey that I have framed. It was sent to me, signed by Leroy, and every time I've ever asked him to come on my podcast or for anything, he's always been there, and I'm so happy for Leroy to be going into the the Pro Football Hall of Fame because I know what it means to him. And I saw a video today. His bust, his head, is going to be right next to Charles Woodson. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that for me. My favorite all-time football player and my good friend Leroy Butler and their heads both next to each other in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, if you follow me on Twitter, there's a video, and I took a screenshot of it, of that right there. Like, that is it. It doesn't get much better than that for Leroy and Seawood to be next to each other in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because it was Woodson who opened the door, Publishers Clearinghouse style, with the camera crew to tell Leroy he was going into the Hall of Fame. And, of course, he immediately shut the door on them. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that video, you have to check it out. Oh. From one great story to a disgusting story, and we'll find out what the next steps are. Deshaun Watson. I, I have no idea what kind of trouble he's going to be in, but all of a sudden my tune has changed. I'll tell you what it was and what it is now next. You're listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. We are witnesses to celebrations. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicket. Follow the station at ESPN DSM, and also like us on Facebook. Hello, if you're watching on Facebook. All right, so we. <laughs> this has been a very busy week in sports. What do I have? Like seven minutes left to try to get all this in. Okay, so we had Bill Russell die. We had Vince Scully die. We had the Deshaun Watson story come down as well. And yesterday we had opening night of the NFL season. It's Hall of Fame weekend. Who knows what's going to happen over the next few days. So the Deshaun Watson rule comes down. If you haven't figured it out by now, Deshaun Watson got a slap on the wrist from uh, Sue L. Robinson, the former judge who's now the disciplinary officer. Uh, she gave him six games, no financial penalty. 
She's relying on precedent. Remember, she only saw four cases or four of the complaints because the fifth one that was presented, I believe she did not want to be referred to by name or did not want her name revealed. So that one was thrown out. So of the four, Robinson sought to differentiate between violent and nonviolent sexual conduct and concluded that Watson's conduct, quote, does not fall in the category of violent conduct that would require the minimum six-game suspension the league established as by the far most commonly imposed discipline for domestic or gendered violence and sexual acts. She pointed out some flaws with that particular, meaning, look, this is what, so by what she determined, and I'm not saying it's right because I think it's a pathetic, pathetic uh, thing to hand down, penalty to hand down. What she is saying by the by her letter of the law, this is the most, um, this is the biggest penalty, the strongest penalty that she is able to impose on Deshaun Watson. So now the NFL has decided they're going to appeal. And now, make sure I get the name right here. I want to make sure I get his name correct. Mr. Harvey. So Mr. Harvey now is going to be in charge of looking over and leading the appeal because it could have been Roger Goodell who led the appeal, but it will not be Roger Goodell. It'll actually be New Jersey Attorney General Peter Harvey is going to lead it, which is probably the best thing, even though Goodell's going to be in his ear on his phone or whatever. You understand this. I didn't realize this. According to ESPN.com, the league previously sought for a minimum of one year, but an indefinite suspension of Deshaun Watson. I did not know that is what the league wanted. And that's precisely what ESPN's Adam Schefter had to say when he was on ESPN radio today. They wanted to be for a long period of time. And if the league has its choice, we will not see Deshaun Watson play football this season. And we will have to see him apply for reinstatement once he's met the conditions, once he's received treatment to address his behavioral questions, the NFL will want to go hard. They didn't go ahead and appeal this with the idea that they could take six to eight or six to nine or six to 10. They went from six to taking him off the field indefinitely. Wow. So the NFL, and here's what I originally thought, and we're going to hear more from Schefter here in a sec. I originally thought at six games, I want hammer. I want the hammer dropped, but in the reality, it won't. In the reality, fans won't care by the time we get to Halloween, especially if Watson's good. Because you fantasy players, just like me, you might grab Watson and stash him if he's going for six games. You might draft him a little early because he's an elite quarterback when he plays. And that's a good team that he's going to be on. But the fact that they're now shooting for all 17 games at an indefinite suspension is surprising because according to Schefter, an appeal like this from six to a full year is unprecedented. Really, the only thing that can happen at this point in terms of not, not new information, but additional information is the NFLPA now has the right to respond in a briefing to the NFL's appeal. And they have to do that by the end of business today. So the NFLPA and Watson's camp will submit that back to the league to say, this is why we don't agree that his suspension should be increased at all. No new information or evidence can be added to that. So really, the hay is in the barn in terms of the investigation. Then Peter Harvey will take that into consideration. I guess the long and short of it is the NFL has not given me a timeline, but it seems very reasonable, them understanding these to be expedited, that by, I'd say, midweek next week, total guess on my part, but just in terms of, of the vibe here, I think that that would be when we'd expect a decision to come down. Here's why everybody loves the legal process. This is why we have the whole, like, Sue L. Robinson takes her time, which she should, evaluating the evidence. 
Then we have the ruling. Then we have the appeal. Then we have the rebuttal to the appeal. And then we're going to have the appeal process go through with Mr. Harvey, with Attorney General Peter Harvey. That's why everybody loves the legal process, right? It's challenge. It's this. But with all that being said, here's more from Jeff Darlington on why Deshaun Watson could actually play not just this year, but could play week one. In Ezekiel Elliott's situation in 2017, when he, the NFL announced that he had a six-game suspension, they did so on August 17th. So what are we, August 5th right now? So a few weeks from now, imagine this comes down for Ezekiel Elliott. He did not end up serving his suspension until week 10 because it was was bogged down in the legal system. He got an injunction while it was being heard to allow him to play. It was on again, off again. Ultimately, it was not until, I think, October 17th that he withdrew his appeal and started to serve a suspension. So it is very possible, is my point here, (laughs) that Deshaun Watson could still be under center week one for the Cleveland Browns if this does go through the legal system. Because there's no timeline whatsoever. You know, Harvey is going to take his, they're going to hear the appeal from the Players Association today, the appeal of the appeal. Everybody got that? And then Harvey is going to do his due diligence by looking at all the evidence. And I, up until I I started reading more about this today and listening to Jeff Darlington, and I I wish I hadn't butchered the cut there from, from Adam Schefter. But up until this point, I thought, this is going to be it. It's a slap on the wrist. Like, the the shield is going to give this really weak sauce penalty to a guy who's been credibly accused by, I've heard up to 66, mostly 25. He settled 21 of them. You don't settle. You don't settle 20-plus cases if you're innocent. All right? You don't settle that many cases with that many different women if you're innocent. And there's a lot of questions. There, there are a million questions that go along with this. Like, isn't it strange? No, let me correct that. Isn't it messed up? If your boy's with Deshaun Watson, teammate, friend, whatever, agent, you know that your guy, Deshaun Watson, has now gone to a dozen, two dozen, up to five dozen different women to rub him down? Isn't that weird? Like, normally, like, I if I go to a massage place from time to time in the East Village. All right? Love it. I love getting a massage. One of my favorite things in the world. Yes. But I go to the same place. <laughs> and I'm not Deshaun Watson. I don't have Deshaun Watson money. I don't have Deshaun Watson's crew. I don't have Deshaun Watson anything. All right? I have very little in common with Deshaun Watson. Other than we both like a good massage. Although I'm pretty sure his massages end differently than my massages. But somebody somewhere had to be like, yeah, this is weird that you go to different massage women all over the Houston area. That you go from one to another to another. Even if it was 10, it would be like, okay, 10, that's whatever. But 25, possibly 50 or 60-plus different women to rub him down? That's weird. There's something, and that's why this is so credible to me. It's because you have all these different women with the exact same exact same story or a very similar story to one another. Are all of them telling the truth? Are all 65? I would bet no, but I have no way to know that. But of the 25, 21 of them were settled for an undisclosed amount of money. 
which means maybe he didn't make 20 of them, 21 of them as angry with his actions, or they could look past it if he gave them half a million dollars. Like what's your price? What's your price for your silence? Because I rubbed my, you know what on you, or I grabbed you, or I talked to you this way. Like what everybody million dollar man said, everybody's got a price. Well, the four cases that Sue L. Robinson heard, they didn't have a price. They were taking this the whole way. And one of them, one of the five got th- gets thrown out, and the other four will go on. And now the, pro- the appeal process will happen. What do I think is going to happen? Up until today, I thought slap on the wrist, nobody's going to care. And Cleveland fans, you have the right to love Deshaun Watson. Remember, Giants fans loved Barry Bonds. All right? Steelers fans love Ben Roethlisberger, even though he had some questionable behavior. Uh, from a you know steroid perspective, Barry Bonds, Ryan Braun still has lots of fans in Milwaukee. Cleveland, if Watson wins, let's say he even has to sit out a year. But if Watson wins a Super Bowl in Cleveland in the next five years, none of this will matter to the majority of the dog pound, to the majority of Ohioans. It won't matter. But to the rest of us, you know, I, I'm looking at who's watching the stream online. And there's some women watching online right now. Hello. Hello to the dudes, too. But I can't imagine. Like, I remember when the word came down for the Deshaun Watson story. I do the morning show on Laser 103.3 here in town. My partner, Heather, could not believe when I was giving her the specifics and the allegations. My wife could not believe. I have two daughters. I can't imagine what women think. When Deshaun Watson gets a slap on the wrist, a six-game suspension. Remember, his contract isn't really tied to the games he plays. He was going to lose out on about $2 million. But his $230 million salary is guaranteed because they knew. Watson knew there was a chance he wasn't going to play this year, so his salary is not directly correlated to him being on the field in the 2022 season. Smart. Smart by Watson and his people and his money men. And loyal by the Cleveland Browns from their perspective. Personally, I I think Deshaun Watson, if this is all true, is trash. And I would never want him on my football team. But if Deshaun Watson can take a team from nine wins to 12 wins at an AFC championship, generate more money, sure the organization feels it'll be just fine. So stick around for that ruling in the coming weeks. All right. Thanks to Pete Sweeney for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks to you for listening. Check us out, ESPNDesMoines.com. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicked. If you missed anything, podcast will be up later on today. Thanks to Kira for keeping us on the air. Cubs baseball, Cubs and Fish next. Have a good weekend. Does she speak eloquently?